Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go, so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Hey, and welcome to episode 62 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi monthly podcast that's 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber suited foes. My name is Kyle, and uh, this is the, let's see, the Daikaiju discussion episode for July 2012. And we're going to be talking about the original Godzilla, or Gojira, as, uh, as it is known to many, many fans. And speaking of many fans, I have uh, my co host for the. Uh, my co-host for the evening here is Mr. Martin Vavra. Good to have you back, sir. Hey, glad to be back. And uh, we're going to talk not only about uh, Godzilla, and this is going to be a long episode, you guys, so uh, strap yourselves in, because we got a lot of discussions from, uh, got a lot of submissions for the discussions from the listeners, and there's just a lot of stuff to talk about. For some reason, July is the big news month, and um, there's just a ton of things that we need to cover. So... Uh, we're going to go ahead and kick things off with a music request. We got a couple in this month, and uh, this one is for Brian. It is from a group called Ika, I think, or Ika, Ika, and it's called Go Godzilla.
And the track you just heard was the main title from Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, from a CD called Monster Mania. And the, the one that we played, of course, before that was a request. It was Go Godzilla. And it was, I think, by a group called IKA. And that uh, it just goes to show I'm not afraid to step out of my wheelhouse here and uh, when I play uh, some techno-y stuff for you. That was for Brian. I met Brian at G-Fest, actually, and we'll talk a little bit about G-Fest later on in the show. Uh, but we do have to get things moving. And uh, so that means it is time for Daikaiju Discussions every month. The kaiju, I'm doing this completely off the top of my head. I don't have it written down this time. So uh, every month, the kaiju cast will take one movie from the giant monster landscape and uh, showcase that film, and we'll we watch it. And then uh, everyone sends in their thoughts, questions, and reviews, and uh, we read it in the following episode. And thanks to an online tool, I've randomized that list, and uh, that will ensure that this this podcast series will keep going for a long 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 time seriously like 2015 at least and so we're gonna get going because um like i said we had a long show tonight and we have a whole bunch of people coming over to watch the original gojira do you want me to hold it here so that we can both kind of yeah you'll see me lean in if i have something to okay. say we'll get it. all right it'll be the signal or I can do some hand movement. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to avoid the headbutt issue. Well, this is all awesome because I've already started recording. So, <laughs> Sorry. so now this is good. It's a Nerdist style kind of start. Okay, so uh, hey, uh, this is the Daikaiju discussion portion of the show where we talk about the movie we just watched, which just happens to be the original Gojira, also known as Godzilla. And uh, we watched the Japanese version. We watched the Criterion Collection Blu-ray, which just came out, man, like a couple of months ago or something like that, a few months ago. And joining me in the studio tonight, we have Mr. Martin Vavra. Hey, hey. And Cindy Okimoto. Hello. And fresh from their burning home in Colorado <laughs> and uh, here to, uh, to, to live in Portland now and hopefully be part of the Daikaiju discussions and the episodes a little bit more. We have uh, Brian and Rachel Cook. Hello. Hey. It's good to see you guys. Glad you're back. Uh, they were, they were, what did I say, episode 29 you guys were on? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I believe so. Yeah. I think we're going to, I think we're just going to kick it off. And um, I know that uh, Martin is the only person here who had not seen this movie before. So, Martin, shall we start with you? Yeah, we shall. And, uh, yeah, it, this was the first time. And, as he said, we didn't get to see the Raymond Burr episode in this. So, I still have one to watch. Um, it was really great. I it was That was a very enjoyable movie. I definitely have lots of questions and, and some comments about the film. But um, that was very enjoyable. So, initial thoughts good film uh initial thoughts good film yeah um risky film 1954 and what they did in that i cannot imagine what was going through the director's head at the time if he knew how risky i they had to know how risky making that movie was and some of the message that they were translating in there it i swear it's almost as if he is saying we understand why an atomic bomb may have been developed and dropped twice. We we kind of get it, and um, yeah, I I just think that was a really risky film with a risky message in it. Interesting. So risky in your definition is, um, are you saying that's risky because of 
what was happening in Japan at the time with the occupation. And because I think I'm not sure, but I think at the time that uh, this was released, the American forces had sort of like stopped monitoring the um, the movie production stuff. And do you know about that? I, I don't know about that. And, and I'm no, at that point in time, they so that's still not what you're talking about. Risky. Wise. Well, I'm, so I'm talking risky in that they are showing a city in Japan being completely leveled and destroyed. They're showing the aftermath of it, screaming children, wounded people, masses of folks, uh, everywhere maimed, uh, just things destroyed, massive amounts of fire and all of this, like, that's that's nine years after everything happened that's still a fresh wound and that's got to be really really difficult to show something that catastrophic on a level gotcha. of tokyo on screen so risky what you're when you're saying risky you're talking about like if uh imagery most imagery and so if, imagery if like we were had. to do something in the vein of like 9-11 style footage a mere like nine years after absolutely after yeah 11 happened a- absolutely yeah something where skyscrapers are devastated with people hanging out the sides of windows or anything right. like that and people are rushing in there to help and then they too are being you know killed or hurt or anything like that like it, that that imagery it was a huge risk to be able to to pull off i think good good observation nice uh, now cindy you'd seen this film before obviously yes but- L- lots of times or just a few or this is probably the fourth time I want to say that I've seen this one. Okay. I, unfortunately, I have seen the Raymond Burr version more. And actually, I saw the Raymond Burr version first when I was a child before I saw this one. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, but you grew up and you had the ability to go see some of these films in the theater. Yes. yes. Uh, trying to keep up with the subtitles. Yes. As opposed to a lot of people like that I know who who had never seen this film until maybe... I don't know what, like uh, ten years ago at the most. Like people started being able to see like bootleg versions of the of the subtitled Japanese film. So, uh, initial thoughts on seeing it again. I th- I really do like this film. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, it, running in my head trying to compare it to the one that I remember as a child, the Raymond Burr one, figuring out what they had cut out, what they put in and realizing that this one was a much, much more serious film with a much more somber message than any of the other Godzilla monster films I'd seen before this one. Yeah, well, it's definitely... I mean, that's one of the things I say about it all the time is, like, if you if you like the goofy, fun movies, like, maybe the first film isn't for you. I mean, I cannot, cannot uh, overstate its importance, obviously, but it's definitely somber and definitely slow and plodding and and eerie as well and uh now we turn to brian and rachel brian you've seen this movie i would assume a few times if not if not a bunch yeah i've seen it quite a few uh i've only seen the raymond burr cut um probably like four or five times when i was a kid and then the japanese cut i've seen a lot more often now that i'm you know an adult so um and like you were saying martin um it it does seem really risky like they're showing flat out footage that mirrors the uh, atomic bomb drop footage with the kids in the hospital and the girl that watches her own mother like die even it's pretty bleak and it's it it's a way way darker of a horror story in the japanese version than the american but i don't really remember the raymond very well so 
but yeah I, I i really enjoy it so yeah it's always good to see i i would like to actually sit down and watch the raymond burr version again just because i've seen that one uh i think i'm sort of in the same boat as you like i've seen it a few times but i've seen the japanese version more mm-hmm. and which then, which was odd because that wasn't really like you were saying up until about 10 years ago we couldn't get our hands on the japanese version so yeah well the, i mean in full disclosure the uh I tried to watch Godzilla King of the Monsters like three times before I was able to actually get through it. It was just one of those things where I think timing was an issue and I kept falling asleep through it. And uh, (laughs) I know it sounds absolutely terrible, but uh, you know, I, yeah, I fell asleep during, during uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. The first, first couple of times I tried to watch it and it was attempt number three before I got all the way through it. Uh, and Rachel, how about you? I, I know you haven't been a, a major Godzilla fan, but uh, you're, you're basically a major Pigmon fan. Right, but, I am <laughs> a major Pigmon fan. <laughs> um, it I haven't seen as many Godzilla movies, definitely, certainly as Brian has seen, or most of you guys probably. But it definitely is one that's more serious, and it's it it. Definitely, it, it pulls on the heartstrings a bit when the, the the brother sacrifices himself basically with the oxygen destroyer, and it um and it still it's it's a it's good in in that I think that was a well done scene, and I think that it was um, definitely painting a good image of um, people really caring about the human race as well and just people wanting to do what's right even though for science it would have been awesome to study Godzilla and I can definitely get behind the father in that regard but you also kind of see the reality of it as he's destroying everything though (laughs) so you gotta do what you gotta do so I I think that it it's definitely it's it's a good movie I really I enjoyed it um but um but it definitely brings up a lot of heavy serious information and points that make you think a lot after the movie of wow that's you know that's some hardcore stuff it is not an uplifting film (laughs) i mean the only uplifting bit about the end is that you know the uh dr sarazawa who um if if you didn't get this martin dr sarazawa is uh because it's the first time seeing it is the um is betrothed is uh there's like an arranged marriage between him and Emiko. And so Emiko has always thought of Dr. Sarazawa as a, as a, as a brother and not as her lover. And she's fallen in love with Ogata. And so the fact that he sacrifices himself at the end of the film, not just uh, for the human race by destroying his own uh, himself and his, his research on the oxygen destroyer, but also sacrifices himself so that Emiko and uh, Ogata can be happy together is, yeah, it's totally huge. I mean, just very, that's sort of uplifting, I guess, <laughs> in in one of the most depressing ways, I guess you could say. But uh, I personally, my, my initial thoughts on this film, seeing it after, I don't know, I maybe have seen the Japanese version. I'm going to say maybe 10 times now. And because uh, I watched, I've watched it every time, it's been released on DVD and, uh, and now this is like, I'm not going to buy any more versions of it. This is going to be my last one. I hope fingers crossed, uh, until something replaces Blu-ray, I'm sure. 
but the uh the japanese version is just so so dark and i think that the american film the american version with raymond burr it doesn't add very much of a lighthearted feel to it but there is more of that um there's more of a sense uh, is, is the word i want to say adventure like because raymond burr is trying to say hey there's a story here i'm gonna see what's going on and it's more of an inquisitive thing as opposed to seeing everything unfold as it's happening and uh then you've got you know the narration along the whole thing as well i i kind of like both films for what they are but i definitely i mean i would never fault the japanese film uh more than i will tonight i'm sure but uh it's basically you cannot ignore its significance for not just the horror genre and the giant monster genre but just the it's a it isn't it is a classic film in the in the sense of a classic film yeah absolutely i you know i i know we only have so, so much time but i could actually spend a lot of time talking about this film there were so many things having seen this movie not in sequence and being able yeah. to relate all the other films back to this film it would be a great discussion well let's let's spend at least a couple of minutes talking about that you this is the first time you've seen the original film you've never seen king of the monsters either right no, not at all so you've seen a lot of showa films you've seen a lot of heisei films and you've seen a fair amount of the millennium series as mm-hmm. well tell me like w- how did this film affect you when you found out that or not when you found out when you realized like this is this is the beginning this is where it all started you see all of the seeds uh, I guess actually you see all of the things that were planted having gone back to this one this definitely is the seed there's actually a point I noticed where uh, there is a music transition because I noticed listening to the music I was like wow none of this is the Godzilla music none of this is wow it just changed into the Godzilla music <laughs> nice, that's in almost nice. every single movie now <laughs> it, it was a total transition and that music actually doesn't really match up with a lot of the other stuff but there is this line that the movie crosses where that music starts and it's and it's the signature music of all of this so yeah that was extremely noticeable uh, and it was great to see that's really cool yeah I have to say that is really cool so uh, listeners out there you just witnessed like you just vicariously lived through Martin's uh, <laughs> discourse there of like what it's like to see this movie for the first time. If you know, if you've been watching the films, that's really cool, man. That's I'm glad a, I got to see this out of sequence to, to be honest cool. for that moment. Excellent. Excellent. Cindy, what is your favorite part of the original Godzilla film? Favorite. Part? Yeah, what do you like best about this film? I know it's a somber, somber, slow movie, yeah. but Actually, I think I like some of the character moments better, honestly, than I like the monster moments in this one. That makes sense. It's a lot, there's a lot of human drama going on in this film. Yeah, I, I actually like Dr. Sarazawa's character a lot. And I find the scenes with him struggling with, what do I, I've come up with this f- supposedly fantastic invention, but what do I do with it? How is it going to, I need to use it for the good of mankind. I can't let it fall into the wrong hands. His struggle is one of my favorite parts. Uh, Dr. Sarazawa is an amazing part. And I mean, the character itself, like, and I love how you can see the struggle that he's got going on. He's really got that. I mean, he's, 
what's the actor's name? I'm trying to remember his name. It's uh, oh man, <laughs> hang on, Akihiko. Ugh, I screwed it up. Akihiko Harada is the actor who played Dr. Serizawa, and he's amazing in this film. He's actually in a bunch of other Godzilla films too, but because none of the other films have that sort of serious tone until you maybe almost, you know, kind of get that in the uh, 1984 film. Um, it's just, it's, it's really, really kind of shocking to see him like so torn and so tortured in, in this film as, as he is. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta agree with you that I, there are a lot of the scenes, like the, a lot of hu- there are a lot of human drama scenes that I like more than the monster destruction scenes. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that, uh, you know, that instead of thing when we get to the, uh, what we didn't like about the film, but, uh, what, you know, Brian, when you think of this film, like, what do you think of like your, as being your favorite parts of it? Well, like the most iconic piece of the whole movie to me and probably for other people is, uh, the first time you see Godzilla when he reaches over the hill, when the people are halfway up the hill, he reaches over and you get to see him for the first time. That sticks with me because when I was a kid, it was on the Godzilla Fantasia Laserdisc. Oh, right, and right. I watched that a lot more than I watched the actual movie Godzilla. So I would see that scene time and again, and it just, it always sticks with me because it looks so cool. Like, other than just introducing the world to Godzilla in that moment, it's also just a neat-looking scene effects-wise. I think it's a puppet, actually, not yeah, really a yeah. suit. So I've heard people make fun of it, but for me, for my money, that's just awesome looking. So, yeah, I actually wanted to. Um, a long time ago, I had designed the outside of a bowl, so that as you're like we were talking about glasses last time you guys were over here, but like um, you'd see like the the difference in the in the glaze would be like the mountain ridge. And as you turn the bowl, like there would just be one spot of the mountain ridge where like Godzilla is like poking his head over. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I still want to make that. It's be, it would be cool. Uh, what about you, Rachel? Like when you when you think of this, how many times have you seen this particular version? This is only the second time. Okay. Um, Brian and I actually just watched it last month for the first time. We so I, I've only seen it just twice and both times very recently. So nice. Um. Let me think. I think my, I think really just because because Brian saw it as such an iconic moment when he saw it. I think mine's the same because when it, it's he's first revealed, I I enjoyed it too. Even though I don't have the same kind of history with it, I think just seeing that was was awesome. I think that it um, was a good reveal, and for me, it's almost the only moment in there where I actually saw it as kind of a goofy scene a little bit. It's not, but it's just, for some reason, I just viewed it that way because I'm so used to seeing a lot of goofy Godzilla movies where I think because of my history of what movies I've seen, just seeing him pop up, I'm like, oh, yay, like, (laughs) Godzilla, like, you want to cheer. But then it's horrible, (laughs) and so you don't want to cheer, and it's, yeah. Well, it's definitely got, you know, that sort of, like, classic Godzilla. I mean, it is the first reveal of all time for Godzilla, and uh, I think you can maybe see a tiny few scales as he's walking in the background, um, when the island first gets destroyed, but it's so brief and so dark. And you, I mean, 
unless you already knew what Godzilla looked like, you'd never be looking for him. And so that first appearance is just so iconic. And I, I have heard uh, some people goof on it. Really, the second shot of the puppet is what I find to be the more unintentionally comical because that's where you're seeing the puppet with his arms up. And he's, he's less menacing to me with the arms up because it looks like the puppeteer has less control over the entire body for, you know, torso of the puppet than just the head. And, uh, you know, I think that shows unfortunately, and that's actually probably a a good, uh, a good segue into us talking about like, unfortunately it's not, it's not a perfect film. It's got some flaws. So like, what, what didn't you like about the film? Um, Martin, I'm staring at you. What didn't you like about about this film? I'm I'm going to assume that the puppet was used specifically for close-ups where they wanted uh, movement, a lot of movement, articulation, that kind of thing, because they didn't have mostly the headshots. To, yeah, they didn't have the ability to to move the head and what. I remember the very first time I ever saw a still of this film. It wasn't a poster, but it was a still for it. And I was like, what the heck is wrong? And I was like, that doesn't look anything like Godzilla. They really evolved that character along. Well, the suit and the and the puppet don't look anything alike. They're, they're really, really different. Uh, I thought the suit looked really, really good, but there's no articulation of the mouth or anything like that. So when they go to those shots... You know, and again, it's that's the technology of 1954, and I mean, they they had composited shots in there. They're cutting things out. There's, I saw stuff in there where there was all of the uh, the power lines, and then there was like a bunch of scaffolding and a various other things. You know, and this is before After Effects, obviously, so they can't track a shot, and there's oh, know, yeah, things moving yeah. up and down. But considering they probably cut all of those out frame by frame with a razor blade, and then taped them over a negative to redo them. You know, that was all really tough stuff to be able to do. I wish they had found a way to articulate that suit because that suit looked really good. And those shots where they had the city going up, their shots going up in flames and Godzilla is backlit and doing things. That thing was awesome. And then you would get to these close-ups with this hand puppet that were clearly just not, they just weren't as good. And I, and I'm not digging on them for their ability because that, you know, I understand. I, I just wish. I wish oh, they had did, taken more I don't more think anybody risk. here would think you're digging on them. Because, uh, I, I mean, it's I, clear that this is their yeah. first foray into the entire Absolutely. That, thing. Absolutely. And, and that was all of that was difficult. They had to make those decisions. But I wish they could have uh, been riskier with the suit or something just because because it, it did take away for me. It, it, it just that that difference was pretty stark. I want to just really quickly uh, suggest to the listeners out there and to you guys here, if you haven't seen it um, on the uh, I want to say it's the um, I want to say it's the classic media version of the DVD. There's a, um, a short by Ed Gojuseski about building the suit. Um, it's really phenomenal and it's not a lot of video. It's a lot of still shots and him narrating. So it's very, it's, you know, it's got a very classic Ed Gojuseski sort of narration, uh, in the educational vibe. And, uh, what I would suggest is if you don't have that disc, look on YouTube because it's on there. I might actually, I'll include a link in the show notes to it, but it talks about the trials and tribulations they had about building the suit itself 
and uh, and its mobility and its weight and uh, what happened to the actor when they were wearing it and stuff. And, you know, they had never done anything like this before. So they they had to initially they had to basically scrap uh, one, at least one, if not two versions of the full blown suit. Uh, it's it's a it's a fantastic listen if you just want to listen to it in your car or something, too. It's really cool. Uh, so yeah, I would, I, I don't think anybody here would look at that puppet and look at the suit and say, no, they are identical. You know, (laughs) you know, you've got to, you've got to take the good with the bad, especially, you know, talking about the very, very first Godzilla movie, the first attempt by Toho to create something like this of this magnitude. Mm -hmm. Uh, how about you, Cindy name? Tell me something you didn't really care for in this film. Okay. Other, I agree with Martin about the puppet. I like the suit, the puppet, eh, not so much. Uh, that and the darkness. And I'm not talking about the tone. I'm talking about the filming. The literal, the literal filming. brightness Some and darkness of the scenes. Just, I mean, um, the scene in the storm near the beginning where the young man runs out of the house because his house is collapsing. This, some of those scenes are just so dark, it's really hard to find... to see exactly what's going on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but is that is is that um and i i kind of wish jeff was here because he would have a lot more uh history with this than i do but is that more of a uh filming technique that you'd see in you know like classic horror films you know super dark scenes i know definitely not like definitely not creature from the black lagoon <laughs> exactly what i was thinking <laughs> yeah uh but but i um, mean you know like frankenstein and and dracula and uh i've never seen the mummy i've never actually seen the werewolf i am a bad horror fan but um i that's sort of what i i like in those you know extreme dark scenes too it's like just the fear of the unknown and, and but i totally see where you're t- coming from like especially especially now when we're used to yeah. being able to see like almost layers and depth and that's just unheard of in in our blu-ray productions and and so forth and just like watching something actually watching something that's in like the four by three ratio where it's like <laughs> What are these giant black bars on the sides of my, of my screen? I don't understand squares. Why is this not I filling up my screen? <laughs> it's almost like the opposite of like the letterbox problems from like the 80s. Uh, but uh, yeah, just like seeing, seeing, not being able to see what's there. I can totally see that. Yeah. I think that's a reflection of uh, what Toho was like back then. Because if you look at a lot of Toho films, from around that time period, they all kind of have that real intense darkness. And it wasn't until, if you look at, say, like the Kurosawa movies that come out in the 60s, they're really clear, even though they're still black and white. So that may have been the reason why it was so dark was just... That's their style. That was what was going on at the time. That's how, how Toho rolls. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Brian, what about you, man? So tell me something you didn't like. You got to have something you didn't really care for about this film. Well, um... Honestly, even though I just said it was the coolest moment, the puppet is obviously bad looking. I mean, I love it because it's adorable, <laughs> but that's not what they should have been going for at that moment yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Especially that moment. Yeah. So um, so it, it is also one of the bigger weaknesses. Um, but really for me, it's just a little too slow paced. And 
Um, I'm a huge fan of Takashi Shimura, who plays the professor in mm-hmm. the film. And when he shows up, you kind of get the feeling like he's going to be the main character. And even though I've seen this mo- movie several times, I always get disappointed that the focus shifts away from him. I agree. I thought he was. Too. I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that he's not for a while. And it's like, what happened? I know. <laughs> I was getting you, attached. You want him to be the main guy. You <laughs> yeah. just, I, I like him a lot. I'm a big fan. So, but yeah, just pacing issues, which again, that's probably from the time period. Yeah. So, uh, Rachel, anything anything you you care to share with us about like what you didn't like about the film like um my husband keeps stealing all of my answers so no i (laughs) I think i was gonna say that it's slow um is it just slow start i um i felt that way the the first time i watched it a month ago and now to uh, watching it again so recently it felt even longer in the beginning where I just thought, when is it going to really pick up? And, you know, this is just (laughs) really dragging. Because when I think back of just when I first saw it just recently, even I kind of forgot about all the stuff at the beginning because it really, most of it, most of the excitement, of course, happens middle to end. Right. As soon as Godzilla appears, I mean, things get, things pick up, but it's, there's a little while before he actually shows up. Yeah, um, but I overall I um, I thought it was well done, so I don't really have much to complain about it. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I will say that uh, all of my complaints are tempered with the whole fact that this is the first film. Um, so please don't write me and tell me how much you hate me because I'm about to say <laughs> these things. But um, <laughs> while the puppet bothers me because it's it doesn't match, um, that's not really what. Uh, what's <laughs> that's not really what bugs me about the film um one of the most impressive shots in the movie is um is the city in flames and you can see the silhouettes of the buildings people running around and there are these giant flames where the entire where tokyo has been basically set on on fire and then you see godzilla in the background and it is a puppet i don't even know if it's the same puppet that we see over the hill but it's a puppet and man that puppet i am sorry to say this that puppet looks terrible it just completely it is the only time of this like watching this film where i was like thrown off of the rails and just said i i was like shocked that the puppet looked so out of place and uh I think they could have used a shot of the of the suit, you know, just shot it from far away. I think it, that's probably one of the technical limitations they had, or something along the lines of where they didn't realize it was gonna uh, wasn't gonna look so good. And then when they put it all together, they're just kind of like, yeah, we just need to roll with it at this point. Um, but yeah, it's the sort of mismatched aspect of of uh, of the special effects. Definitely not flawless, in my opinion. You got something to say, <laughs> Martin? Oh. 1969. He's the director of Latitude Zero. Who is? Ishiro Honda. Ishiro Honda, Honda yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should see Martin's face right now. Uh, I, can't I remember t- <laughs> when we watched that movie. <laughs> I cannot tell if he's thrilled or shocked or uh, if he's about to go into some sort of catatonic state. That is all of those things at one time. <laughs> and to, to further blow your mind, man, 
My man, <laughs> further, <laughs> blow, further blow your mind, man. Uh, the guy who played Ogata in this film is the guy uh, is one of the Japanese guys that's speaking English in that film. Oh, is it really? Yeah, Akira Takarada. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's swing this back around to to final thoughts. We've already been talking about a half an hour about this stuff. So, uh, final thoughts, Mr. Martin Vavra. Tell tell me. Uh, after we t- finished talking about this and you finished watching the film, obviously, what are you taking away from this movie? Uh, great movie. Very enjoyable. Would like to see it again. Would also like to see the Raymond Burr one. Uh, still wrapping my brain around the moment where a bunch of Japanese military men roll up in a truck, followed by a hospital truck full of nurses. If you didn't see that, it happens and it's really funny. <laughs> I wanted to laugh, but I kept it back. <laughs> there's, there's a truckload of nurses that rolls up on one scene. Right on. So, Cindy, how about you? Final thoughts? Looking back on this film, I still like it a lot. Though this is probably not one of those films I would have someone who'd never watched a Godzilla film watch first. Mm-hmm. You know, I get a lot of... I. I get a lot of sort of, I don't want to say heat about that, but I agree with you. This is not the one, if someone said, hey, I've never seen a Godzilla film before, which one should I watch? I don't think you need to watch the first film in order to understand where the series is coming from. So that's yeah. why I usually point at, point at something more fun or with better special effects. And um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you there. What about you, Brian? Final thoughts on this film? Well, <clears throat> I mean, nowadays it's rough around the edges, but when you think about what it was back in the day and especially i mean it's just an enjoyable film so you can appreciate it on that level too but yeah it's there's just a lot to like and there's not much to dislike and i would agree you would definitely want to have something a little more fun with multiple kaiju in it to show someone because this is really dark and all the kaiju films that just have one monster tend to be so focused on that one monster that I think it takes away a lot of the fun of the genre as well. So. Right on, right on. Good point. Rachel, final thoughts? I think go, going into it, knowing that it's more of a serious Godzilla movie and um, knowing that you're going to be watching something where this is their first shot at it, I think it's really good. I think that if I had seen something like this, even if even if they made it nowadays and they were like this is my first shot to introduce a monster i think i'd be into it because i think that they did a good job at making a good deep dark serious scary film like it it's not terrifying but it's it, when you think about the concept it's, of it it, it it's is got so, it's got a lot of terror in it i mean yeah, if yeah. the only other film that i in the kaiju uh films that i consider to be a horror movie is is the original rodan and that's got uh that's got a lot of terror in it and this mm-hmm. one i'd say i don't know i think i think rodan is more terrifying because it's got a lot of like fear of the unknown kind of stuff people getting dragged underwater by some unseen force and and when the bugs show up they're like murdering people straight up but uh <laughs> but this it, i'm getting off track uh the yeah this definitely has a lot of a lot of uh, terrifying qualities in it yes yes yeah it, it's not like where we're jumping out of our seats scared but the people in it i mean if that had happened that would be insane <laughs> you know so i think that it was just for the time it came out too it's it's very well done and i think that it's i would recommend it somebody that's already seen some godzilla films i would say yeah you should definitely watch it 
Awesome. Well, uh, my final thoughts on the film are uh, you need to see it. I mean, Godzilla fans need to eventually see this this movie. If, um, if it's not your first film, that's great. If it is your first film, um, I, I hope you stick with the genre and you continue to some of what I consider to be uh, even better movies. Uh, this is definitely now my favorite film. And I would say that despite its flaws, you just cannot ignore the epicness of what it stands for. This is the first giant rubber monster film uh at least from japan i think ever and uh it just really set us forward on the uh the path that is kaiju iega so uh having said that i think we're going to wrap things up here thank you all for for coming out and uh here's what everybody else had to say brian decided to submit something special two perspectives on the movie one is from him a big Godzilla fan and uh, who I met at G-Fest, and the other is his friend, Siler, who is not very familiar with Godzilla at all. It's been a long time since Brian just sat down and paid close attention to the movie, and he ended up liking it a lot more than he thought he would. Not many Godzilla movies have this tone, and it kept the film engaging. The black and white actually made Godzilla a lot more menacing than he remembered, and that's what sets it apart from other monster movies that came out at the time. There's another aspect the drama revolving around the oxygen destroyer it's from that subplot that the film has some humanity to it rather than just forgetting about the humans when the monsters appear the only fault he has with the film is that it starts out a bit slow since we don't establish a main character right away overall it's a tone he hopes legendary pictures can have with their remake now for siler's thoughts while he has seen a few godzilla films like the one with jet jaguar <laughs> which would be godzilla versus megalon uh, he never actually saw the original Godzilla until his friend Brian showed it to him. Uh, he liked how the movie didn't show a lot of Godzilla, unlike how some of the modern-day films show the monster off the first, they chance, the first chance they get. While this might have been a technical limitation, it came out very good. And when we did get to see Godzilla, it was when he was destroying Tokyo, a clear metaphor for Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Ultimately, Godzilla had to be destroyed by the oxygen destroyer, much like how the decision to use the atomic bombs to defeat Japan in World War II, uh, instead of risking a mass, massive invasion, it showed that Godzilla was a thoughtful film, showing the horrors of nuclear weapons and their effect on humanity. He did find it a little amusing, though, that with such a strong anti-war message at the heart of Godzilla, it spawned a whole genre of films that completely ignored its message on the horrors of nuclear weapons and became the definition of pulp and genre films. Sean writes in that Godzilla King of the Monsters was certainly not the first G film that he had ever seen. Godzilla 1985, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Megalon, and Monster Zero were already very familiar to Sean by the time he had caught uh, the black and white original on a New Year's Day Godzilla marathon in the 1980s. However, it definitely had the most profound, even psychologically scarring effect on Sean for one simple reason. In all the other G films that Sean had seen before it, uh, before it, especially Godzilla 1985, Godzilla was portrayed as an unstoppable force of destruction, an all-powerful being that could stand up to anything that the military could throw at him. And then seeing Godzilla, a hero who Sean had still considered mightier than the Almighty himself, reduced to a pile of bones and then to nothingness by all of the things a man-made device. It was nothing short of traumatic. Sean remembers sitting there, staring at the TV screen well after the film had ended, still trying to take in what had just happened. His world completely crumbled. It was just like Raymond Burr had said in the film's prologue. 
What has happened here was caused by a force that is entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Having said that, there is not enough praise that Sean can give this film in its Japanese counterpart, Gojira. He considers it one of the greatest films of all time. In fact, it's part of Sean's personal holy trinity of all time greatest achievements in motion pictures, right along with the original 1933 King Kong and the 1931 Frankenstein, films that have a tremendous power to fascinate audiences worldwide. So uh, this guy didn't sign his email, but I want to say his name is Robert. Not, not really sure. The 1954 Godzilla is probably his favorite Godzilla film, at least the uh, one he watches most often. It's weird because as a kid growing up, it was probably one of his least favorites, but it was too bleak and Godzilla didn't fight any other monsters. But as he grew up and learned more about the history behind the films, he quickly grew to like them, like it the most. Its darker tone and serious subject matter became more appealing. It's the quintessential Godzilla story, just like Kong 1933 and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein novel were the most important representations of those characters in pop culture. Interestingly enough, the original shooting script for Godzilla was published as a novel by the film's writer, horror author Shigeru Kayama. It's always been his dream to see an English translation of that book, maybe with the premiere of Legendary's film that will finally happen. Probably not, but a fan can dream. So Joe writes in, the original Gojira was the second Godzilla movie that he ever saw. The first one was Godzilla 1985 on Father's Day in 1992. Gojira is the original wonder that spearheaded the daikaiju boom that, uh, of the Showa era. He doesn't want to go on for too long as he is easy to go off on on a long rant about how great this movie is, but he will end with a few remarks. Without Gojira... There very well may, might have been, uh, there may not have been Gamera, Daimajin, Gappa, Gorjo. Wow. Oh, Gorgo. Gorgo. Woo. It's good. Gor- you haven't seen that one yet because we haven't watched it. Ah, uh, there we go. Gorgo, Yungari, Mothra, Rodan, uh, Ghidorah, the other vast majority of Toho Kaiju, and the Cloverfield in the most recent years, just to name a few. Gojira was a perfect movie. For its time and budget, it was a true masterpiece. Dark and gritty, truly showing the peril and darkness of a giant monster and what the nuclear bomb was to Japan. John writes in his review, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and the Lucky Dragon Number 5. These real-life events are what Ishiro Honda was not afraid to use to make Godzilla feel so real. There are, there are powerful scenes and powerful images in this movie. They make you feel like you're watching Japan suffer a third atomic bombing. The, de- the film delivers in every way. Great story, great acting, and for its time, great special effects. Although the suit may not be his favorite in the series, the way they filmed it was amazing. This was uh, smart filmmaking at work here. Low camera angles and quick shots helped make Nakajima and Tezuka's performances come to life. Like no other film, Gojira seemed like a raging animal. Also, composite shots like Gojira's first appearance over the hillside and the first full body shot still look great today. Hats off to Eiji Tsuburaya. On Ifukube's score, another powerful piece of the Godzilla puzzle. Uh, he still finds it amazing that it was done without him seeing any footage at all. His favorite scene is the scene with Emiko in Ogata pleading with Sarazawa to use the oxygen destroyer and the way it was acted and directed perfectly. The pain that Emiko felt for betraying Serizawa came through so well as did the desperateness Ogata had to had to convince him to use the weapon. Earlier on in the movie, Serizawa was, Serizawa was a mystery. Was he evil? Was he mad? You don't really know. 
The scene shows you that he was actually a very good, honest man, a man who knows he could be coerced into making this weapon for the wrong people. Ironically, he shows us that one of his strengths is admitting his fear of being weak. You can feel his anguish, and then we see the TV report come on. Amongst the images of devastation, we hear and then see the choir singing the haunting, O peace, O light return. Sarazawa suddenly takes on an eerie calm, and we find out later why. He's already made the ultimate decision. He will forever give props to Honda, Momoki, Momoko Kochi, Akira Takarada, and Akihiko Hirata for making this such a powerful scene. Another great performance is, of course, from Takashi Shimura. How can you go wrong with the actor who is considered one of Japan's all-time greatest? Flaws? Yes, Godzilla has them, but uh, nothing that would ever make him turn the film off. And as far as the American version, he still loves what Raymond Burr did with his role. That This Is Tokyo speech was written really well, really well, <laughs> and Burr was convincing when delivering it. He, do, he does have gripes with the film, uh, with the version, with some scenes in that version. One in particular is when Dr. Yamane clearly says the name Gojira at one point. Uh, problem is, in this version, Gojira slash Godzilla has not been seen, and the ship disasters are still a mystery. That was poor reshuffling. He'll finish by saying Legendary Pictures has him excited for their Godzilla again, and he's hoping Gareth Edwards will really make this movie feel very grounded and realistic. That would be great for the fans of the original. Jason writes in, Not surprising, this is his favorite film of the Godzilla movies. It stands up to the test of time remarkably well. The miniature work, the acting, and the story still have an effect. But mostly, it is the ending that he remembers. Dr. Sarazawa's sacrifice at the end is understandable and yet still unexpected. Jason loves this movie. Of particular note, this is not the first Godzilla movie that, that Jason had seen. He's not sure which one, as he was very young at the time, uh, but he does remember that it was a color Showa-era movie, that, and Godzilla was definitely the hero. He knows because when he saw this movie as a child, it scared him. This was not the giant hero that he knew and loved and rooted for when he fought King Kong. The monstrous Godzilla in the movie nearly put him off the series as a child, but he kept watching despite of this. Every Sunday morning, he would wait and hope that there would be another movie with his biggest hero. Page said that this was his first time viewing the original Godzilla in many years, during which time he's seen a good deal of other Japanese films. Watching this movie again, he was struck by the similarity between Godzilla and other Japanese productions of the era. The stark lighting, the no-nonsense title and credit sequence, and the genuinely dark night shots put, uh, put it very much in a particular time and place for him. Overall, the mood and presentation reminded him a lot of Kurosawa's samurai films, particularly during the opening act. He was also struck by how fully formed Godzilla is here. So much of the Godzilla character and concept that we know from later decades is present from the very first. This film seems not only to have established the basic formula of the kaiju appearance, build up and attack, but also to have laid the groundwork for what makes Godzilla himself so memorable. This may be a testament to the faithfulness of the later Toho films, but it also seems to him that Godzilla was ahead of his time, particularly in the creature design department. Uh, the light-up spines are, he thinks, simply genius, clearly setting him apart from other giant monsters such as King Kong, the ants in them, or any of Harryhausen's creations. The only major element he found missing is a rival monster to square off against. He likes how Godzilla comes, off, uh, comes almost out of nowhere, although the H-bomb is implicated in awakening him. No specific group or individual is charged with having caused this awakening. Similarly, Godzilla is never given any specific motivation or goal. He simply is, and merely his being there causes carnage. 
The vision of death is literally left unexplained. Together with the dark, sometimes murky photography, this makes him a lot more frightening to him, uh, to Page, and reminds him strongly of early horror films such as Dreyer's Vampire. The human drama is not the best in the franchise, but it may be the most touching. The scenes of destruction are still the most powerful that he's seen in any kaiju film, and it's interesting how much tension there is in the Planes versus Godzilla sequence. For audiences of the time, this must have been suspenseful, bleh, suspenseful in a way future scenes of this sort never could be. It seemed possible at first that the armed forces might really kill Godzilla. When they fail, that might have been a genuine shock. Another distinctive element in the story is how Dr. Zhao... Uh, I cannot believe I said that. <clears throat> a do- another distinctive element in the story is how Dr. Serizawa is sort of an anti-mad scientist. He fits the typical scientist-villain tropes, but inverts them by sacrificing himself to become the hero, saving human life by destroying scientific knowledge. Page thinks this is his very favorite aspect of the film. Although in a less cerebral way, uh, he also loves these sequences on Odo Island. Has any, has any movie monster ever had a better reveal than the first moment when Godzilla pokes his head above the ridge? Ben writes in, The original Godzilla is a classic. It was powerful in the 1950s, and it is still powerful today. He saw it when he was a kid, and it gave him nightmares. Still, when Ben does see Godzilla in his dreams, it's the black and white Big G. He really wishes there were more dark Godzilla movies like this one. Jace writes in uh, his review, and it sounds like he's actually kind of reviewing almost just Dr. Serizawa here. Um, He says, The heroic act of self-sacrifice giving up his life for the people of Japan, giving up Emiko so that she and Ogata could have a good life, giving up scientific recognition for his, for his discovery, for the sake of keeping it from becoming a new weapon of mass destruction in the Cold War. It generates a heroic character that American cinema could not compete with. Throughout this film, the heroes and sci- are scientists who see beyond petty squabbles like Dr. Yamane in the scene in the Japanese parliament. And this marks it off from King Kong or the Beast of 20,000 Fathoms in which the heroes are tough, emotionless men with hyper-masculine personas. This, uh, this is undoubtedly the best film in the classic monster films. Two thumbs way, way up. Mike Keller from Monster Attack Team Magazine, which is uh, something you guys should definitely be checking out, uh, writes in to say that he considers Gojira not only the best film in the series, he considers it the single best monster movie ever made. That does not mean that he considers it flawless, even though it's perfect film in the world has flaws with it. So much has been written and said about this movie in the decades since it was made. The making of Gojira holds out hope for us creative types who have passed the 4-0 mark. Uh, he will be turning 40 in two years and finds himself dealing with the, something of a midlife crisis. It's really scary to consider how fast the years are passing by, to consider that if he's lucky, he'll get another 40 years or so. He gets frustrated at all the things he'd like to create and accomplish and it imagines that his clock is ticking to get those things done. But when he considers what those four guys did, uh, those four guys would be Ishiro Honda, Tomoyuki Tanaka, Eiju Tsuburaya, and Akira Fukube. They were all 40, and uh, Tsuburaya was actually 52. When he considers what those four guys did at a point in their lives ahead of where he is now, he finds great encouragement. Of course, there may be some cultural differences at work here. He's no expert. Perhaps Japanese society encourages men to keep making a go of it into the Middle Ages and beyond. Uh, it doesn't matter. When you get to the tokusatsu, when you think that the tokusatsu boom just started with Gojira, 
of all things that came after it. And then after these guys made careers in this genre, after they turned 40, it makes him feel good. Mike writes in, he really only remembered brief glimpses of Godzilla uh, and that cool eye patch guy. So it was a tremendous treat to watch this with fresh eyes. Great performances by all the pinnacles, especially Takashi Shimura as the professor and Akehiko Hirata as the eye patch guy, Dr. Sarazawa. The story and their characters were so nicely developed that he almost forgot who the real star of the film was. Of course, Daddy G's climatic Tokyo Rampage was worth the wait. Way cool score. The opening and closing theme music was so powerful. His only complaint is that he feels that Momoko Kochi's performance as Amiko was quite flat, especially during the scenes requiring subtle emotion. What a fantastic movie Godzilla is, easily ranking with any of the iconic Universal films. Brother D writes in, who's uh, actually from the Mail Order Zombie podcast. We might have him on sometime. He says, uh, because of the different podcasts he produced, he's known as a zombie guy or as a fan of horror film, uh, Hammer Horror Films. He talks a lot on his show about other podcasts, about his love for all things monster movie. But honestly, before attending the King Kong vs. Godzilla screening at the Hollywood Theater earlier this year, whoop, whoop, uh, that was me. I didn't have a lot. He didn't have a lot of experience with Godzilla films. Watching that movie made him realize that he had a giant lizard-sized hole in his heart, and he intended to fill it with all of Toho's kaiju films. He dedicate. He decided to attack the filmography in order of the film's original theatrical release, and uh, that meant he got to start with the original Godzilla. He ordered the Criterion Blu-ray and sat down to watch the film and uh, had no idea how he managed to get through life uh, as a monster movie fan without watching the original Godzilla. What the heck is wrong with him? And the movie was fantastic. The Criterion release made the movie look real pretty and he enjoyed watching the film not once but twice with and without the commentary. He also watched the American version of the film twice through. His initial thoughts of the film are that it is dark. People die. A city is destroyed. The Japanese landscape is set on fire. He knows that as people, we sometimes deal with our fears and tragedies through horror films, but he can't help but think about how the images of Godzilla trashing Japan might have impacted the original Japanese audience that dealt with the events of World War II. Even taking World War II out of the mix, this film is still dark and scary. There's real terror on the screen, and he wasn't expecting this in a film that would eventually spawn something like King Kong vs. Godzilla. The special effects hold up. Sure, at one point it's obvious that Godzilla is a hand puppet, but the matte paintings, the optical effects, and the creative use of miniatures more than make up for that. He was impressed as hell. And, spoiler alert, Godzilla dies? What? How? Really? What? He, I mean, he gets it. You gotta kill the monster at the end of the movie. And the filmmakers couldn't see into the future and know they were creating a franchise, but still, he couldn't wait to get into Godzilla raids again and how uh, see how the big G came back. And Robert writes in, The first time Robert saw the original Gojira, it was a revelation to him. It's a haunting, moving, and wondrous to behold. His favorite scene is where Old Man on Odo Island is telling the reporter about the old rituals of human sacrifice. He longs for the days so that he can feed Godzilla the girls who were making fun of him in the previous scene. The subtitles are more poetic in the Blu-ray than on the DVD, and they convey the disdain of the scoffers more clearly movie is truly a classic and very beautiful on blu-ray last but not least alexander says the earliest memory of godzilla he had was watching this on his computer uh, when he was little as he got older he re recognized all the great things about it and now recognizes it as truly the therapy for japan's nuclear attack from godzilla from america that's funny i just 
threw in Godzilla there because I think nuclear attack and Godzilla. Sorry about that, man. Uh, it was astounding to watch, and it started his quest for watching and loving Godzilla. He got the Japanese version finally last year and loved it dearly, much more than the American butchered version of King Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Though he loves Raymond Burr's character, and it seems uh, seems so modern-day American to try and get the story of a lifetime, no matter how dangerous or stupid or how big the risk. Uh, he thought that the scenes with the eerie silence as Godzilla attacks were terrifying. The characters were were real and believable, and the events that transpire are wonderful. The whole movie is a spectacle. He especially loves the first attack, where it's hard to see Godzilla, but we can see some of his parts and uh, like his feet and his tail, which makes the true eerie suspense of the film. And uh, he hopes the new film takes notice of the original. And uh, there you have it, our Daikaiju discussion submissions from you listeners. I really do appreciate um, everybody sending in their thoughts, questions, and refuse. Our next film is going to be uh, another film that's celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Uh, Martin, do, do you have any idea what that could be? Uh, the one celebrating its 50th anniversary, I am going to guess that it is Farewell Andromeda. I don't know if that's true or not. Is that part of the series? No, it's is not. It's definitely list? not a kaiju film. Oh, okay. Um, oh. But in addition to King Kong versus Godzilla, Toho also produced uh, Gorath, which is an outer space epic that has... Um, has a giant monster in it at one point in the film. So <laughs> And that's one that I have not seen. I would not have guessed it. So a lot of people a lot of people actually have not seen the film because it's, I don't think it's ever been officially released on DVD here in the States. So I don't expect a lot of submissions, but if you have the film or have access to the film, please do watch it and send in your thoughts, questions, and reviews. Um, August is gonna be a very, very busy month for me. But let's just go ahead and say, please send in your homework before August 23rd. And uh, that would be an email to controller at kaijucast.com with a subject line of Daikaiju Discussions. And I'll make sure to get that into the second episode of August. Uh, but we are going to move on to um, some other things we have. This, uh, this isn't really, I mean, it kind of is news in a sense. It's So I should play the news sounder, but... We're just going to go ahead and talk about what happened at, at San Diego Comic-Con this year because Mr. Martin Vavra here actually went to San Diego and uh, got to experience the insanity of San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, yes, the chaos. <laughs> the chaos. The chaos ensued. Uh, so actually, first off, just as briefly as you can, why did you go down to San Diego? Oh, aside from B, it, that it's awesome. Uh, I had a very lucky opportunity. First, I had uh, the friends who were the Double Clicks were doing a show that was part of Wootstock, and they had a couple of freebie tickets, and they said, hey, you should come along and come down to San Diego and see our Wootstock show. And so I said, yeah, that would be great. It's too bad I don't have a ticket to San Diego Comic-Con. And then I was offered uh, a free pass through Dark Horse to get into Comic-Con as an exhibitor. And so I was like, wow, Wootstock and comic-con all at the same time so excellent so who do i talk to to get to san diego comic-con next year for the you talk to me all right okay cool <laughs> uh so you saw some i'm sure you saw some amazing nerdly stuff down there when you were there um did you see anything giant monster related they had uh well everything is giant down there it's kind of like texas everything is bigger there <laughs> they uh you know what they had the uh <laughs> they had the the trolls from the Hobbit, they had the actual life-sized 
uh, mock-up of that whole thing that they allowed people to have photos with. Very cool. Um, they were able to get the the troll actors from Scandinavia to, to show up. Yeah, exactly. Up. It was from Troll oh, Hunters. Nice. And uh, <laughs> no, it was really neat. They, they had those giant trolls that were in there. Um, there was, uh, I actually don't remember them having a setup for the new Godzilla film, but they did for Pacific Rim. Well, I know that uh, before you get into Pacific Rim, I know that they had uh, um, they revealed the poster and a little bit more that we'll talk about in a second. But and I think that the, there was the legendary pictures booth, and mm-hmm. at some point, some people were signing. But that's about yeah. all I think. Happened. And they and they did have that, but they they were not uh, pushing the Godzilla film quite as much as other things. But they did do something with Pacific Rim in Hall H. They did. That you were there for. Well, they had a they had a pretty astounding setup in the the dealers exhibit area for Pacific Rim, and one of the things that they had in there was they had the bodysuits that are set up for people who are uh, Jaeger pilots. Oh, um, so really quickly, what we should do is if you have not heard of Pacific Rim, basically Guillermo del Toro, who did your you know fan favorite such as the two Hellboy films and. Uh, help Pan's, me out, Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. That's the and most significant one. Mimic, uh, Blade Two. Um, he did Kronos and The Devil's Backbone. The Devil's Backbone is the one I was trying to remember. I was like racking my brain. I love that film. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's a huge nerd and he's very talented. And uh, basically, he's making a. This is this is what I heard that made me say I'm in a giant monsters fighting giant robots movie. And that's yeah, exactly. it's called Pacific Rim, and that's really all I need to know. But uh, that might not be all you need to know. So Martin's here. Martin is going to tell us a little bit about that film. It it well, it was amazing discussion, and, and I was telling Kyle about this earlier. I had the rare opportunity of being able to have my pass that allowed me to get in and not have to wait in line. So I went in there. I, I'm a huge Guillermo del Toro fan, and I've met him once before. So the opportunity to go in there and see some of this, and I go in and. He's just arriving and they bring out some of the stars of the show and they start to talk about the whole thing, but they, they really don't dive into it before they actually show the clip. Uh, and it's an amazing clip and they, and they, and they set the stage of it. This movie is, and it's just the way you said it's when he describes it, he even says there are kaijus and they are starting to rise up from the oceans. They're coming from a variety of places and what humanity has no way of fighting them other than these old giant robots that they used to have for uh, their wars. And so they start resurrecting all of these giant robots. So it's like all of this awesomeness of giant Godzilla monster movie stuff mashed together with Voltron. Nice, nice. And I was freaking out because I had no idea what this movie was about. I'm sorry that you had no idea because that makes me feel like a bad friend. We're not telling you about Pacific Rim before this. I, I was fine not knowing. It was actually cool because that moment, it was really crazy to sit there and have him immediately start saying, well, there's these giant kaijus that start rising up out of the oceans. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on a podcast. It's got kaiju in it. <laughs> so it, that was... That's what you told Guillermo del Toro. Did you... That was why they I'm threw kidding. me out and then <laughs> yeah. forbid me to... <laughs> so the restraining order says... Um, it was it was really this and you know I, one of the things that's beautiful about Guillermo del Toro is his style. When you at least for me when I look at um Pan's Labyrinth and I look at Hellboy, 
I and I can see it's like to me it's like looking at a Burton film. You right. can identify a Burton film. I feel like I can identify a Guillermo del Toro film. Cool. And cool. you know they had uh, these bodysuits out there on display that were from all of this, and they're for the people who are the Jaeger pilots, and the Jaegers are what they call they're they're giant robots. Um, and they and they even get to talking about them. The the robots are each piloted by two. They have two Jaeger pilots. And they essentially have a left brain, right brain. So they have a left brain person and a right brain person, and they all interact. So they had these, and they're in these special suits that connect into the robots, and they really interact in how they are. So it's this, it's this really cool setup. And the clip they show is of two pilots uh, that are not in their Jaeger, and they show a Jaeger actually that's been severely damaged, crawling out of the ocean, and walking up toward them, and then collapsing in the sand. Um, and the, just the look and the detail is amazing. And it's, to me, it's so very much him. Yeah. I cannot wait to see it. I really wish that I would, they would release that footage online, but I, I, you said that they were, that they were sort of touting this as only being for Comic-Con. Yep. They said, this is it, you know, and there, there were people in there recording things and I haven't seen anyone actually release any of the footage that they shot. Yeah. Uh, gorilla style in there. Uh, people have been really good about it. it it's just, uh, you know, that's one of the things about it. And, uh, you know, Guillermo, one of the things he stressed is there are a lot of CG effects in this. You, you know, they're not going to have rubber suited monsters. Yeah. Um, there's going to be, uh, That's good to know, though. Big CGI monsters, big CGI robots, but he said for as much as we could, they made practical sets and a lot of practical stuff, which I love with him because the detail and the artistry that goes into his work is amazing. So did he did he talk the director Guillermo del Toro? Did he talk mostly about like the Jaegers and stuff, or did he like? Did he say a lot about the monsters too? He got into the monsters and you know, that mostly came about when people asked uh, about them. And okay. if I remember correctly, they designed 15 different kaijus for this film. I don't believe that they, that they ended up using all 15. I think it's closer to 10 or 12 hmm. that are used in the film. But there was, that was one of the things is he said, there is an entire variety of Kaiju that are throughout this film with a variety of strengths and weaknesses that we get to see. Oh my God. I can't wait to see what yeah. they, what they've come up with that for that movie. Ah, seriously. And I'm just very knowing excited. his imagination, you know, that's one of those things with, with Pan's labyrinth was, uh, how he understands uh, folklore and fairy tales and legends and, and how he weaves a tapestry with all of those things. So to see him do something like this, I'm just, it's going to be shocking. Cool. Well, I'm sure we're going to have a lot more about Pacific Rim in the future. Uh, I will say that um, <clears throat> they released a poster image before Comic-Con that showed how large the robots were. And, Everything that I had heard up until the poster was released was sort of led me to believe that maybe the robots were like 40 feet tall or something like that. Yeah, they're like 400 feet they tall. They are huge. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will have a link in the show notes to the actual poster that so you can see how they've got like a human standing on the shoulder of one of these things. I mean, it's very, very much like uh, super robot stuff, uh, like Gona guys, uh, Mazinger Z as far as like scale goes, at least that's what it looks like to me. So I, I can't wait to see it. And, um, it's like double the iron giant. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, probably. Yeah. It's probably, it's, yeah. 
some somewhere along those lines. It's it, they're pretty. It's big. It's it's awesome. Yeah. So uh, what? Unfortunately, you didn't stick around the uh, Hall H to see what happened after Guillermo del Toro, which was they brought out Gareth Edwards, uh, and he talked a little bit about monsters. Sorry, that's not right. He talked a little bit about the next film he's working on, which is Godzilla. And this is the point where I now prepare myself to be a bad friend. It's okay, man. I don't. I I know people that that saw it, and I read. It's funny because um, while this was happening, while I was at G Fest, which we'll get to in just a second, um, and <clears throat> the first thing that I heard was like, "Oh, they 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 posted the teaser trailer," and I was like, "I think I had just finished um, wrapping up." my podcast recording stuff and I read that and I was like of course they did I'm here in Chicago just finished something and of course they posted online but the G-Fest was a buzz with uh, people some people were saying that they had seen the trailer clearly they were not telling the truth uh, some people were just describing things so basically um, I'm not going to read the description of the trailer but um, it showed a uh, a giant dead monster showed a lot of wreckage and it showed a silhouette of Godzilla and you hear his scream is what I heard. And it, uh, apparently the place went crazy when it, when that happened. So I'm glad to hear that, uh, all the, all the good, uh, geeks and nerds in the, in San Diego were very, very happy to see that. That's, that kind of makes my heart warm. And that's not just, you know, because I had pizza earlier tonight either. It's, uh, it's good because, you know, they, it, it really shows that they that people want to see a Godzilla film, you know, if that it got that kind of reaction. And, uh, they also released a poster image kind of in the same vein of Pacific Rim releasing something for San Diego, but it essentially just says the word Godzilla in English with the Japanese Gojira behind it. And, uh, so it's not much to write home about but it's at least there was something at, at San Diego Comic-Con I will say that <coughs> uh, but uh, yeah I mean it sounds really cool they also the other the other big thing from San Diego Comic-Con was that there was an SH Monster Arts exclusive figure uh, now you did you see that I in, did in person when I texted you uh, I was actually standing uh, at the showcase with them sitting right there. And I was like, Oh, I better find out if you need one. Yeah. And luckily I had, I have people looking out for me. Let's just say it, put it that way. Uh, I have people looking out for me. And so I, I have, well, uh, of course you do. I was one of them. I, yeah. That's why I was texting. <laughs> I have many people looking out for me. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I did not need him to pick me up one, but, uh, it looks really cool. And obviously I'm a big fan of those figures. Um, I was actually just talking with Brian and Rachel the other day about them. And, um, Hopefully, uh, hope it's like I'm torn. My wallet screams that that does not want uh, SH Monster Arts to release a full final form Destroya figure, but my brain and heart really want one really badly. <laughs> like, and, and the the open socket in in the the display cases. Of course, of course, <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, is there anything else you want to uh, lay down on the listeners that that you saw or heard at Comic Con? It, it was a really good time. Uh, Comic-Con is a, a very overwhelming thing. I'm very curious to see how Dragon Con plays out this year because I'll be going to Dragon Con this year. And it doesn't always have the full Hollywood effect 
to it. Right. But I'm wondering if there are any of these things that are going to be heading over to, to uh, Dragon Con that I can check out. Very interesting. Uh, so as I said, I was not at San Diego Comic Con. I was at G Fest, which listeners to the show, listeners of the show, will remember. My last episode was a live show at G Fest, which Martin, it went over really well. Like really, yeah. You should tell us about it. You should listen to the show first of all. <laughs> but I will tell you a little bit about uh, about G Fest. First off, G Fest was just awesome. Um, the last time I went was 2009. It had been 10 years since I had been to G Fest. I'd never been to Chicago for the show, and it was so it was my first time there for that. And it was um, it was cool this year. Uh, uh, obviously, it's been a couple of years since I've been back, and this year, I don't want to sound like an egotistical maniac, but people knew who I was. I mean, they. I think I was on the show floor for maybe just like five minutes, and somebody recognized me and said kaiju cast and i was you are one of the foremost authorities on the the big g no i am not not when it comes to g fest there are people who who have spent a lot more time and effort and and i'm just i'm just the guy with the microphone you're, you're the voice the deal. i'm <laughs> i'm the voice of sauron uh i know i'm i just i'm a guy with the microphone i mean i know i know a fair amount of godzilla i think everybody here in town is like oh we bow to your knowledge but uh the when i get to I am medium-sized fish when it comes to that room and uh, and that, that that's hotel. shocking to me. Just knowing how much you know and and looking about the KaijuCast HQ. Yeah. Well, okay. Actually, so here's something interesting. I I found it very interesting, and it really really kind of got me jazzed when I was at the show. Um, I was I was sitting down waiting for uh waiting for a panel with two of the one of the guests. Akira Takarada, I think, was the guest. I was waiting for the panel. Uh, so I was sitting in the panel before his and during that panel, they were showing, um, video footage from some of the movies and from some, they might've had some TV show stuff up there. There were two kids in front of me. And when I say kids, I don't mean like seven, eight, eight years old. I mean like maybe 13 and 14. It really seemed like this was their first time at G fest I don't think they were brothers. I think they were like friends who liked Godzilla and they were so jazzed. Every time something came on that screen, they were like talking to each other like, oh, look, it's it's Gigan. I love Gigan. I love how he has the sickle hands. I love how he's like how when he flies, he's got the fins that stick up. And they were just so excited to be there that it just it really made me very happy to be there. I mean, I was already very happy to be at G Fest yeah. anyway, but it it sort of like rekindled the fires of like man godzilla is so awesome and i love i love seeing people get into godzilla it's just really cool to know that you're not the only one which i know i'm not the only one but uh (laughs) the i think that a lot of kids out there they really feel like they're the only they don't have a lot of friends that talk about godzilla and they might feel like they're the only person in their circle of friends or their group or their city or their state or the country that that likes godzilla and so an event like g-fest bringing all these people together it's actually very heartwarming and it's very very cool and uh i was very happy to be a part of it i I should actually once again i should thank jd lees who's the organizer of the event and jeff horn uh for letting me 
do the live podcast there because that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it started out as a packed house, but that room by the end of the show looked like it was packed. I mean, nice. n- not even by the end of the show, like by, you know, 20 minutes into it, it looked like there were just like tons of people in there. Um, there was one point where, um, <clears throat> you know, that you know, you've been here for the many recordings of the show, Martin, and you know that the, the intro is like two minutes and 15 seconds long. Yeah. It's some people like the length. Some, sometimes it's kind of like, okay, I'm just going to let this play out. But every time I listen to it, it gets me amped for the, for the show. And so, um, because it's two minutes long over two minutes long, uh, I asked the audience, I'm like, do you guys actually want to hear this live Hear the, the intro live? an overwhelming response was yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice and um and uh it was funny because we we were in a room that was not initially wired for sound mm-hmm. and uh, i had to talk to the people to wire it for sound cuz i had my recording equipment there and um they were just expecting whoever on stage to just talk to the audience with their own voices and be able to be that loud <laughs> yeah um, so we wired it up and uh, patched into their PA system. And so when the music started playing, the intro music, which is, you know, kind of heavy and a little bit loud, um, JD actually came into the room and he was like, we've got kind of a scholarly uh, presentation going on in the other room. Uh, is it going to be this loud the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. It's just the, just the beginning of the show. It's not, it's not going to be this loud the whole time. But there was a small, like rebellious punk sort of aspect of me that was all like wanted to be like you bet it's gonna be this loud old man but you take that cryptozoologist i never would have said that that i mean i absolutely feel uh you know very happy to have been included in in the programming this year and i I would love to do it again oh my god it was so fun nice um the i don't want to get off on the the sorry I don't want to get off track and talk about the details of the show, but it was uh, it was really cool. Um, there are two specific stories that I want to talk about. One, um, if you look through my Facebook photos, there's a picture of Bin Fiora, who played the original Ultraman, and also he played one of the Ultra Guard from the next show called Ultra 7. And um, there's a picture of him in uniform. And the deal was that on the first night, I... Uh, the first day I was like, I need to take a nap because I'd been up for, you know, a long time. So I went up to my room, fell asleep, uh, watching Ultraman actually got up just in time to go downstairs for the opening ceremonies. And I'm sitting there at the elevator, you know, dorking around on my phone or whatever. And then I look up and there's a guy standing there in this full blown uniform. <laughs> and I was like, I had never seen Ben for before, but I was like, cool outfit nice <laughs> so i chatted with him for a little while and uh it's so if you look through my pictures on facebook you'll see that that's there's the picture of him that was because he was staying on my floor and you know he was just right there i rode the elevator down with him <laughs> we're best friends and everything now i'm sure but uh did was, he introduce himself and you finally went whoa or did you was there a moment where you finally realized who you were talking to um well when i saw the outfit and he started speaking to me in japanese i asked him if he was ben fiora and and he said yes and i introduced myself to him and I was like, uh, I was all like, yep, Kyle Yount, Kaiju Cast, kind of a big deal. Just kidding. I never said that. <laughs> um, that but was, he said that. No. He said, oh, Kaiju Cast. And I said, no autographs, please. Uh, no, he was a super nice guy. And um, 
I mean, he didn't speak very much English. He spoke enough to say hello and thank you and and so forth. Um, and it was really cool seeing him and Akira Takarada, who um, was played Ogata yep. in the movie tonight, uh, see them interact with the crowds. Both of them were very, very happy to be there, to see. I think they don't get to see the level of enthusiasm that fans have mm-hmm. in Japan. Um, so for them to come over here and see like such a concentrated effort uh, for for fans in in Chicago, I mean in Chicago to see the, the fans yeah. from all over the world come and uh, and celebrate these movies and TV shows, I think it's I think it might be a little overwhelming. They were both very very happy to be there, and it, they nice. were super nice. Um, so that's one story. That's the brief one. And then the second story <laughs> I have is uh, I told. Uh, uh, Brett Hominick, who is sort of like the handler for the for the uh, for the guests, the Japanese guests. I told him that I would, really was interested in interviewing both Kira Takarada and and Bid Friera, and he was like, "Well, they, there's a lot of stuff they want to do in Chicago, so hopefully we'll be able to get something set up." And I was like, "Sure, man, no problem. Hopefully." And uh, basically, at the end of the Kaiju Cast podcast, if you listen the live podcast, if you listen to that show, you'll hear me say, "Okay, guys, we got to clear out for Kira Takarada's next panel." Um, so I'm literally putting all my stuff away, <clears throat> thinking that I'm going to go to some other, some other panel, and watch that. And uh, as I'm putting my mixer away, Brett's like, "Hey, uh, did you want to interview him right now?" And I was like, "Are you talking about like moderating this panel?" <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, I do," <laughs> because. I was completely unprepared and yeah. I had no idea what I was going to ask him. And, uh, I was a little, uh, a little frightened. <laughs> I will admit you were having that, uh, that fanboy moment. Well, it's just kind of like, you know, I want to be professional and this is something I didn't tell the listeners yet. Um, in preparation for potentially interviewing either of the Japanese guests, I actually brought nice clothes with me. I was prepared to dress up to interview them. Oh, wow. You know, because I want to make a good impression and, and so forth. And, and I want to make sure that G-Fest and those guys understand, like, that this is a big deal to me. And, and uh, so I was, I'm completely willing to, like, wear a nice shirt and, like, decent pants and stuff like that. Instead of last time I was there, I interviewed um, uh, Kenji Sahara, which was great to interview him. But I was wearing freaking cut off camo shorts and and a white t-shirt and i hate the way i look in white t-shirts so anyway uh it was really really cool because i got to sit up there and basically uh interview akira takarada oh and the other thing is uh i was sort of uh supposed to ask him to sort of ask him about his non-godzilla movie stuff and at the time i was like i don't know what he's done (laughs) so uh, that was a that was an adventure, I will say. But how was his English? Uh, his he spoke Japanese. Uh, you you've heard his English actually because he was in Latitude Zero. He was in Latitude Zero. But yeah. uh, no, he does he doesn't speak it really. Uh, we had uh, it was up on the panel it was myself and Brett Hominick and uh, Akira Takarada and then Robert Scott Field, who you have not seen Godzilla vs King Ghidra, but he plays an android. He's an American or Canadian he's a Caucasian actor mm-hmm. who speaks English and Japanese fluently and he is always at G Fest. He actually did the translation. Oh, sorry, okay. the interpretation. That's what that's called. He mm-hmm. he interpreted for us. Uh so 
I did get to record it. It will be in a future episode. I just don't know how, how long it's going to take for me to get to it. Cause I've got a lot of stuff recorded that I kind of need to, we, we need to take a little bit of a break for the Kaiju cast so that I can, <laughs> I can release those as episodes, but it was, man, it was so much fun. And, uh, the last thing I will say about G fest, um, about what happened at G fest is we had a listener party at the hotel bar mm-hmm. Saturday night. And it was a blast. Nice. We had, um, Oh my gosh. I don't want to forget anybody. Brian was there. Mike was there. Steven was there. Uh, Scott was there. Jeff was there. Jeff, uh, Jeff Zorno was there. He brought his friend cyanide, Mike, who, <laughs> who uh, is in a death metal band. It was dude. It was so much fun. We talked and nerded when, out. When you're and, born with that name, you can't be in anything <laughs> else think, but a death metal band. Something tells me he's got a different uh, oh, given name. I was Sorry. reading into that. Sorry. I didn't mean to burst the bubble, but yeah, yeah it was a ton <laughs> of fun. And, uh, uh, I again thanked Jeff uh, Horn when I got back to town, and and he was like, he listened to the episode, he thought it was great, and um, let's just say fingers crossed for the next G Fest and maybe, you know, many more G Fests that there will be a live Kaiju cast uh, at at those at those shows. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, it was man, so much fun, so much fun. Um, <clears throat> Let's see. We should probably move on. The next <laughs> the next thing, <laughs> this is going to be a long episode. Uh, the next thing that I want to talk about is there is a, a museum exhibit going on in Tokyo at the Museum of Contemporary Art. And if you are anywhere near Toho between now, I guess, I guess it's been going on for a little while, and the beginning of October, and you like Godzilla movies, you need to go see this. Um, if there's any chance at all that I'm going to be there for work, uh, you better believe I'm not going to miss this exhibit. It's uh, called Tokusatsu Special Effects uh, Exhibition. I am going to um, post a link in the show notes uh, to a Crunchyroll article that shows like what's happening inside of it. It's amazing. They they actually built a set, like a cityscape set that you can walk through, and it. Oh my god, it looks amazing. I want to go with. <laughs> I want to take my girlfriend. So she can take pictures and like take you, there's a spot <clears throat> if I if I am interpreting the photos correctly, there's a spot where you can stand and you're in between buildings there are buildings in front of you, buildings behind you with a skyline behind you. And someone can be on the other side of an apartment building that's got a cutaway. So like you can take a picture of the inside of the apartment with like all the little tiny furniture and stuff <laughs> and out the window would be you. Yeah. Like the giant you know, monster, the giant monster kind of thing. It looks so amazing. Uh, they actually have a, they have a, at least a Mecha Godzilla suit, like one of the old ones on display. Oh, nice. Uh, they've even got some stuff like on, like painted up on the walls in English too. So it really, really looks cool. Um, I would, I would uh, definitely say that if you're a fan of the giant monster genre and you're in Tokyo, you have to go to this. Um, if anybody does go, I would love to see your photos. So make sure you send those to me. I really should have played the news soundbite before that. Maybe I'll play the news soundbite now. Okay. So, uh, here's some news. Martin, have you seen Godzilla versus Biollante? Why? Yes, I have. That is one I greatly enjoy. Did you know that that has never been released on DVD here in the States? I do know that. You have complained about it many times. If only that moment would change. <laughs> well, it looks like that mo- 
I love how that sounded so scripted, but it really wasn't. Uh, I It appears that a company called Echo Bridge, who is known for kind of making sort of like, I think it's like mega pack movies. Like, you know, they kind of don't do a good job on them. 14 Tom Selleck's. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they are making the Biolante DVD. There is a, there's a, a member of that organization, the Echo Bridge organization that's uh, been in contact with people on the Toho kingdom forums. And apparently I believe he's been in contact with, um, uh, with people from sci-fi Japan or maybe Ed Gojuseski. Uh, about you know extra features and making it more than just you know your kind of crap shoot here's a movie along with 16 other movies on one disc kind of thing uh, so fans have their fingers crossed that Biolante is going to get a very decent dvd release here in the states uh, somewhat soon nice that would be very cool uh and then you were here last month when we watched daimajin mm-hmm. absolutely good news Daimajin's coming out on Blu-ray. All three films are coming out on Blu-ray from Mill Creek oh, Entertainment nice. in September. Mill Creek's not too bad, if I remember right. Don't they do decent jobs on their DVD releases? Mill Creek has a has a not so great reputation, but they they released the Gamera trilogy, the mm-hmm. updated Gamera trilogy. They did a terrible job uh, on the third film, mm-hmm. and then they went back and they fixed it. So, oh, okay, uh, they definitely put their money where their mouth is and they, you know, you could send in your, your messed up DVD mm-hmm. or Blu-ray and they would uh, replace it for free. So it was pretty cool that they did that. I was very happy. I've got my updated versions and uh, I'm, I think they've, uh, they're using a different company to make sure that that doesn't happen anymore for their subtitling, nice. which is what the problem was with, uh, was with the subtitles, but they're, they're coming out in September. I'll have a link in the show notes to the Sci-Fi Japan article about that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how much good it's going to do, but there's the Kaiju Combat Kickstarter that you heard Matt Frank talk about in the last episode that's still technically going for a few more days. It does look like they're not going to make their uh, make their mark. So really, there's um, there's an important posting on one of the blog posts from simon strange we might get him on the show at some point to talk about what they're going to do for the kaiju combat uh video game so that's really all i have to say about that um and actually because this show has gone on so long that's all i have to say pretty much about the entire thing i have one final um request i guess you could say this is this goes out to you listeners and uh anybody who's on the facebook's uh, here's the deal. I I like getting press passes for Comic-Cons and stuff like that, but I really only do it in order to interview people. I don't just do it so I can get into the show for free. Um, <clears throat> so if a show has a legitimate Godzilla-related thing going on, I want to be there to cover it. Uh, Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con is, a, is an excellent excellent example of that they you know i i wasn't there i was at g fest but i would not have been able to get a press pass as it stands right now for san diego comic-con um one of the ways that we can change that is for me to get some more likes on facebook now i haven't asked for people to like me on facebook or like the kaiju cast page on facebook since i started it and i needed to get like a hundred in order to make it like easy to find me Um, so what I would like to say, uh, is that if you know anybody who, uh, 
who does not like the Kaiju Cast, or if you don't like the Kaiju Cast Facebook page, please, 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 please go do that. Um, I'm not kidding. Like, I have heard that you kind of need to have over a thousand likes in order to get like some legitimacy for these comic book conventions. Um, I have experienced some issues with not being able to get press passes, and um, I don't, you know, I I want to be able to provide you guys with awesome content. And uh, uh, if you are on Twitter, I uh, I would love for you to like the Kaiju Cast. The good news about Twitter is that I've been using Tumblr, and I tied Tumblr into Twitter, and now Twitter gets updated more often because I've been posting things on Tumblr. Whew, so many social networkings, man. It's a... Uh, it's the wave of the future. Um, but yeah, trying to get, um, trying to, you know, increase my likes on the Facebook page. So please, please, please share the Kaiju cast with, uh, any friends that might not like it as share. It. If you don't like the Kaiju cast Facebook page, uh, I'll be your friend. And just kidding. I not going <laughs> to be a jerk about it, but like really it, it would help out a lot and I would appreciate it. Um, there are going to be some cool things coming up in towards the end of the year. So make sure you keep your eyes open. Uh, I think we're just going to wrap this whole thing up because I'm actually getting kind of tired if you can't tell. So if you found the Kaiju cast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, make sure you uh, check out everything that we have like an episode guide and a definitive list of all the Daikaiju discussion films. And of course, every single episode we posted, every single blog posting there's been, all at kaijucast.com. Um, if you don't do this uh, and you have one of those fancy iPhone devices or iTunes, please subscribe to the KaijuCast through iTunes. That is also something that could help out in the long run. Um, if you want to send me an email, a message talking about Godzilla, talking about what you like about Godzilla, talking about if you like the show, you don't like the show, you got constructive criticism you want to tell me what your favorite color is uh just shoot an email to controller at kaijucast.com i'm fairly okay about getting back to people uh make sure you check the the website of course for the show notes too because that's going to have a lot of information that we've talked about in this episode uh and uh i'm not exactly sure what's going to happen for episode 63 right yeah episode 63 uh which will be at the beginning of august who knows what's happening for that episode, <laughs> but uh, we'll figure it out and we'll get something posted. Maybe it'll be uh, that Norman England stuff that I recorded way, way back in October of last year. But uh, I think that's going to wrap it up. We're going to finish things off with a request from Sean to play something from the uh, from the Godzilla soundtrack from the first film uh, by Akira Ifukube. Man, I almost said Takarada there. I must be tired. Uh, so having said that, we're going to sign off and, uh, this is where we say Jamata. Jamata. Jamata.